Hi, I'm Madhuni Krishnan, editor of Airline Weekly, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. This podcast is the audio from our weekly live streaming interview series, which we air every Monday at noon Eastern at forum.skiff.com. Join us for the weekly live stream. We'll take your questions live on air. And of course, if you prefer audio, we'll always be podcasting the Airline Weekly Lounge at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge live live stream. I'm your host, Madhuni Krishnan, the editor of Airline Weekly, and I'm joined today by Skiff's hospitality reporter, Cameron Sperens. Hey, Madhu, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today. We're going to talk about uh, airlines and hotels, because presumably when you fly, it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit of a departure for us here at Airline Weekly Lounge, but it's kind of a, an interesting diversion because presumably when you fly, you do need to stay somewhere. Uh, so I'd like to just dive into that industry a little bit. So Cameron, let's talk hotels. The airline industry is, you know, in a moment of flux right now because the $25 billion that got through the CARES Act stimulus earlier this year has expired on September, expired on September 30th and tens of thousands of employees are being furloughed. And right now, when we'll talk about this later, the, the industry is kind of waiting to see what Congress will do. But the hotel industry really didn't get a bailout at all, right? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, they, I mean, they were kind of lumped in with all small businesses. Huh. Why small businesses? I mean, uh, no, I mean, you covered this stuff night and day, so you could, you know this, but some of our listeners may not. And I didn't know until I was talking to you earlier that, uh, you know, you how were hotels lumped into small business when you have these global brands like Hilton, Marriott, Radisson, et cetera? Exactly. Um, so it, it is interesting. I mean, when you think of Marriott, you think of this giant real estate behemoth that just yeah. hotels like six per block in, in New York City <laughs> or something like that. Um, it's actually, you know, back in the day, a long time ago, it used to be that way where Marriott would own its hotel. All these companies did. They've since gone to an asset light model where really all they're doing is franchising out the rights to use their names. So the hotel oh. industry really is owned by more often than not, moms and pops who are um, Marriott, Hilton, um, you know, down to Travelodge, just kind of the right to have that flag. And then they kind of, in that agreement, agree to abide by the brand standards, et cetera. So it, it really is a federation of small businesses. And um, that's where they kind of, more often than not, actually um, qualified for the Paycheck Protection Program, which was aimed at small businesses. But because um, like a lot of people don't recognize that that is how the hotel industry works. It's where they also got into a lot of hot water um, when some of these companies who own these hotels were taking money. Um, a lot of times in the press would be like, well, why does this Ritz-Carlton need? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that got a lot of player earlier this year. Um, there was a lot of outrage when very large hotel chains and, and sort of you know, multi-billionaires or whatever that owned, <clears throat> that had hotels were getting bailouts and some of them returned them, if I'm not mistaken, the the pay, pay, payroll protection funds. Uh, so so hotels, then they did actually take advantage of the, the stimulus through the small business protection program? Some did, but the thing is a lot, um, as it started to roll out, there were then like debt caps, et cetera, where it, at the beginning of the program, a lot of real estate advisors were telling their clients, um, at least the 
real estate lawyers I was talking to um, in the depths of it, they were saying at the beginning, um, it, it was a great program. But then as companies like one that comes to Ashford uh, Realty Trust down in Dallas, they own a lot of, um, you know, different kind of across all the brands or, or across the country. They were sort of the the poster child of hotels getting a lot of scrutiny during all of this. They actually ended up giving money back. Um, a, a lot of the bigger um, real estate trusts that yes, they did actually qualify for it, but just had a lot of bad uh, media scrutiny ended up giving it back. All right. I want to get to this audience question in a minute, but there, there is one last sort of thing I wanted to clear up before we ask, ask this question. And that's, um, you know, uh, what, so the payroll protection program, uh, I'm sorry if that, that's the terminal the payroll support programs, what it was used for the airline industry. So mm-hmm. this, this was it, Subject to the same sort of strictures. So in the airline industry, you know, the the airlines that took funds from the payroll support program couldn't furlough involuntarily involuntarily furlough anyone, mm-hmm. and had to. I mean, this isn't germane to hotels, but had to continue serving every last city they served on mm-hmm. in March of this year. Uh, was it similar in the hotel industry? Did they have to keep the lights on and keep all their people employed, or could they sort of close? And well, how did it work out? Yeah, so it was basically uh, the Paycheck Protection Program was two and a half times um, your monthly payroll, and it basically lasted between like eight and 12 weeks. Uh Um, And and so for companies to take that on, they had to pay out the the employees um, that money. But then whenever I was uh, back in April and May talking to different hoteliers, they were just like, there's such low demand right now. They ultimately didn't go with a PPP loan because what are we going to do? Bring them back for eight to 12 weeks and then have to go through this process again of, of letting them go. Um, and, and they just realized it was for, for the owner's standpoint, more financially prudent to just stay closed for the whole time. Interesting. And if they stayed closed, then they returned the funds or what? Did they yeah. And they, it, well, if they stayed closed, they didn't get the funds at all. Mm-hmm. All right. So it wasn't a scenario where they were paid to stay shut. No, 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 no. Okay. So we've got this audience question and it is uh, politically charged, but it's an interesting one. Would an emphasis on helping hotels have received backlash as potentially helping Trump properties and bailing out his interests? So great question. Um, actually, forgive the self-plug, but uh, you, you helped me on the story as well. Uh, the story we ran last week about why hotels didn't get um, specific aid um, like the airlines did. I mean, there's a host of reasons, but one of the ones that kept coming up with different sources I spoke to or like said that Trump um as a hotel owner himself would have faced immense backlash if suddenly there was hotel industry specific aid. Um, You know, we see how it is right now trying to get an additional round of stimulus. Um, It's such a delicate balance. And given how polarized Washington is right now, it it just seemed like it was very dead on arrival. Um, There was a quote in that story. Someone I spoke to said if Trump had still owned an airline, um, it would have faced similarly uh, a tough time trying to get through um, airline specific aid. Right. Interesting. That is that politics invades everything. Politics is everything. Uh, So I wanted to ask about, uh, demand. You mentioned earlier that uh, hotel, several hotel, lots of hotels didn't take stimulus because they saw no reason keeping the lights on. Um, I assume demand cratered earlier this year. And are you starting to see an uptick now? We are. Um, it's, you know, U.S. Oc- hotel occupancy 
tanked somewhere in the high teens in China. It was somewhere around 10%, maybe oh, even wow. um, right now in China, uh, the numbers have been kind of all over the place just because they just had a big uh, uh, holiday, but they have since gone above 60% in China. In the US, it's kind of, it, it got up around 51% at Labor Day. I think it's gone back down to around like 49. Um, so things have definitely come back up. It's um, largely in drive to destinations, unfortunately, not really fly to spots. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it's those places you can get within three to five hours from your own house. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the, uh, the sort of sub stories or over themes leitmotif if you want to if you, if you will uh of the airline industry recovery is that business travel still had all but evaporated in march and still has not come back in any meaningful way um especially uh, international business travel is just gone for the most part from the u.s um but uh it's in the domestically, you know, companies just aren't traveling. So is that reflected in sort of, you know, I'm just a, I'm a business traveler. So like, I'm thinking like, is that reflected in the sort of brands like, you know, Hilton's and, and um, it's the brands that cater to the business traveler. So where's the demand coming back? Is it coming back with leisure uh, tra brands or? Um, Definitely coming back with leisure, leisure brands. Um, and also, I mean, I'm, based in Boston and the seaport area is kind of where our convention center is. And that's yeah. where you see sort of your big box Westons, things like that. A lot of those properties are still closed because there's just, there's not, um, there aren't any conventions happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and also those bigger hotels are also where you tend to see like the bigger corporate clients have rates. And I mean, they're just, there's no demand there. So the hotels remain closed um, where you do see some spots. I mean, um, out here in Cape Cod this past weekend for Columbus Day weekend, I kind of did a poll of different owners and a lot of them sold out completely. And that's the uh, beachy destinations for a holiday weekend. Um, I, I hear markets like Myrtle Beach, South Carolina does well. Um, Pensacola in Florida at one point, mm -hmm. I think had the highest occupancy of the world this year, which is just like normally never happens. Right. Uh, Atanuga, Tennessee, I think was a close second. So there, it, it's kind of that weird anomaly when uh, of just, the stats are all over the place right now, but really it, it tends to be um, your beach destinations, ski resorts. Um, Hilton tells me that they're even looking at retrofitting some business properties to make them more geared towards the family traveler. So they're retrofitting and connecting hotel rooms so you can fit more people in for a family going on a vacation. Yeah, let's talk about that actually. Yeah, yeah. That, that I really is really interesting because we're seeing that now with airlines rejiggering their networks from a lot of nonstop, uh, nonstop direct flights, say between say San Francisco and the East Coast are being funneled through the hubs. So they're, you know, and there's a lot, and a lot of, they're doing some crazy things like, or on crazy would have been crazy, but now makes a lot of sense. Like, you know, United flying, bypassing its hub and flying to Florida directly from East coast cities or mm -hmm. Southwest suddenly adding all these ski destinations, which they never flew to before. So the, the shift is to leisure. Um, are what are, what are, I mean, that's easy for an air airline to do because their assets are mobile. Right there, um, but how does a hotel, a business hotel, make itself remake itself at least temporarily to to cater to the leisure traveler? You mentioned connecting rooms. What are some of the other things they're doing? Yeah, I, I think it's going to depend on the market. I mean, some of the things that Hilton told me that I think actually 
could work no matter where you are, um, are like in smaller properties, maybe geared towards business travelers that are coming through for one night and have like a small breakfast room to grab. Mm -hmm. so they're actually looking at expanding the food and beverage capacity to maybe bring it out into the lobby, bring it outside because that also uh, pertains to social distancing, but also enables a family of four who's traveling and maybe staying a couple of days rather than Joe or Jane from the office, just kind of wanting their grab and go oatmeal. <laughs> right. That's going to work no matter where you are. Um, what's going to be interesting is in a market like New Orleans or Nashville, where even when you had a big convention center hotel, you had big pool areas and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, that's going to translate over to the family traveler just wanting to go to Nashville or New Orleans, no matter what. Um, you know, a, a massive convention hotel in a colder market like Boston or New York City or, you know, Seattle in the winter, that might have a, a harder time catering to a family um, looking to get on a vacation in the winter. So it, 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 it's going to be a little bit more reliant on geogra geography um, uh, as to how, how much of a chameleon some of these properties are. <laughs> now, where's the state of play with the hotel industry and this... <sighs> I mean, the, I'm going to say the never-ending talks and for for a next round of stimulus. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I wish I could be more optimistic. It's. I, I mean, not for lack of trying. They have kind of, I, I think, recognized just the limitations they have that they're not going to get um, industry-specific relief. So, what a lot of the trade organizations and companies themselves are focusing on are. There was about 130 to 140 million billion dollars, forgive me, of PPP money that was just never spent um, mm -hmm. time around. So they want that money to come available once more. Um, they would like to see Congress really sort of narrow down the scope of PPP this time around and have it limited to industries that are impacted the most from the pandemic. So still not really saying hotels only, but they would like to, with that, that kind of elevates the travel economy's um, you know, likelihood of getting money a little bit better. They want liability protection from someone who makes a claim that, oh, I, I definitely got coronavirus from your hotel. They want to make sure that, that um, they're protected from a legal sense from that regard. And they also want um, plays on just sort of debt cap placed on other tools in the tool shed. Like the Main Street Lending Program is another, um, you know, relief measure that was passed in all of this. And it was supposed to unlock like billions and billions and billions of dollars. Um, but because of caps that are placed on it for how much debt you can hold, really the hotel industry was shut out from that because everyone just has too much money owed left on their mortgage. So they were just kind of unqualified from day one. Interesting. So, huh? Long way of saying that's what they want. But I mean, every time I talk to the American hotel and lodging association, which is their key trade group, um, they just say that they think Washington is too focused on nominating the next Supreme court justice and the election and that mm -hmm. it is, it's going to be a while before they they see anything, if at all. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what I'm hearing from my sources too in the airline industry. I mean, the airline industry, as you know, has been whipsawed the last yeah. two weeks with, uh, unfortunately, having to furlough tens of thousands of employees. Um, and one, you know, just there have been a lot of bills moving in Congress, uh, the standalone bills in both houses of Congress, plus. Um, Plus, you know, part of the, the Heroes Act that the House is negotiating with uh, with the White House, 
for payroll support to be extended through March, but I, it may come too late for those employees. I was going to ask, I mean, not to turn this on its head and me ask you a question, right. but I, I mean, you're right. Whipsaw is the exact word I would use last week because I mean, the story I was working on, I felt like I had to change it four different times just based on how the mood of Washington was going, even by Washington standards. And how did it go from, it, it seemed like no matter what, the airlines were on track to get something, even if we couldn't agree on a comprehensive bill. What changed to where suddenly with a comprehensive bill or nothing? Very good question. <laughs> so at the end of last month, just before the um, the 30th, uh, the week before, the week of the 20th, I suppose, uh, two Republican senators introduced a $28 billion bill to um, to extend the payroll support program um, just for airlines. And, and it would use some unused, tap some of those unused funds from the CARES Act. Um, a similar bill started moving in the House, introduced by uh, House TNI Committee Chairman uh, Peter DeFazio, a Democrat from Oregon. Um, mm -hmm. And these things, there's wide bipartisan support because airlines, congressmen fly a lot. Yeah. <laughs> their airlines and their unions do a very good job of reaching, um, lobbying Congress, making a presence in, in a lot of key states in the November 3rd election. Uh, and it all looked really good. Uh, the, the House bill that Nancy Pelosi and uh, the Speaker of the House introduced back the HEROES Act had $25 billion in it um, to extend this. And who knows? I mean, the White House at first said they're, you know, they broke off talks after Trump came back from a hospital for, and then suggested they, this was last week. I, it's hard to keep straight. Then suggested that a standalone bill was the way to go. And then resume talks on the heroes act and which would you know then obviate the need for a standalone bill and pelosi said there's no standalone bill without a comprehensive bill so who knows i mean i i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and as you said and you know senate majority leader mitch mcconnell said that it's very unlikely anything will happen before the election and he's got his hands full with uh with the you know, the nomination of a Supreme Court justice, uh, which is also interesting because now there are several Republican senators that are quarantining from coronavirus contracted at the event to nominate. The, it just it just gets more complicated by the day. I mean, I sometimes fiction can't this couldn't I mean, you couldn't write fiction like this. So no one knows. And, but the unfortunate thing is, you know, the. Um, Airlines have begun the process of uh, furloughing thirty thousand people, mm -hmm. and for the and have said they will recall those people if they get funds soon. Now, with each passing day, that becomes less likely. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is. It's just a terrible situation, and my heart goes out to all those people who are, you know, out of a job now and just don't know what's going to happen be because of, you know, the craziness of Washington. Yeah. I, I mean, do you get a sense the optimism for, I mean, even if a comprehensive bill passes, um, I, I know the sense is the airlines will still be the industry that gets industry specific aid. Um, and I mean, does it come down to pol just political theater of, you know, if you look at where airlines are hub, they tend to, a lot of them are in swing states. 
or I, I mean, is it just the complexity of the jobs compared to other industries? What's sort of a, the take there? I think it's both. I think that on the, you know, you're right. Airlines and their unions have joined forces that have been very effective in lobbying for this. Um, and you know, the, the argument has, and you see it a lot. It's been in airline circles. Uh, people have been talking about this, the, if airlines say they're going to be half the size they were in March through the end of next year, then why do they need all these employees? That's the, that's a that's a basic question, right? I mean, um, and it's a good question. The answer to that, and the re- and to answer your question, is that um, a lot of these employees are licensed, and mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, flight attendants, maintenance technicians, and pilots, and pilots in particular have to perform a certain number of takeoffs 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 and landings per month to retain their currency. So if they're furloughed and they have they start to lose their currency and their licenses need to be renewed, which is time consuming and an enormous expense. So the argument airlines have that even though they do not need all the the workers they have now or they had in March uh, is that if they furlough them and these people lose their currencies or their licenses or they find other jobs in other industries, then recalling them when, when demand comes back will be incredibly difficult mm-hmm. or will require hiring new people and training them. And that, and for pilots, I mean, when you need thousands of hours of flight experience before you can fly an aircraft, uh, that's, it's just impossible. So I think that, you know, that that's the reason that you see, well, I've talked to a lot of congressmen, Congress people last week, and that's, that's the re- reason they say, you know, this, this is a critical industry and that the, why they're on why there's bipartisan support for um for extending the payroll support program so who knows <laughs> yeah certain no that that definitely makes sense because I, I know um I, i'm hearing instances of so many <coughs> where the uh general manager is working the front desk cleaning the rooms or people are putting on <laughs> hats but five or 10 hats. Uh, and I, I know that's a little bit harder to do in the, the airline industry. Yeah. Especially, you know, a maintenance technician can't just, uh, uh, somebody who works the ramp, you know, loading luggage or <clears throat> the wing walkers who bring the aircraft in can't suddenly become a maintenance technician. They have to go to school for it yeah. and get licensed. So it is, um, it, it is, you know, a little bit different than the general manager cleaning the, the <laughs> bedroom. Uh, you know, we, we have a few minutes less left and I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Um, I know it's not your main area of coverage, Cam, but uh, Cameron, but uh, you do dip your toes in, so to speak, with the cruise industry, and that that is an industry that has, uh, I mean, it, 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 the press yeah. it got early in in the year was no one would wish that on any industry, mm-hmm. um, and you know its role in spreading the pandemic also is. Uh, is will be something do, people will debate for years, but uh, the cruise industry did not get any payroll support, right? No. And why is that? So it, it's interesting. I uh, have just kind of begun to dive into the cruise industry. And what I gather is the head of Carnival Corporation, which has an array of cruise lines. He was just looking for a federal loan guarantee. He said they didn't want a cash bailout because I think they recognized their odds and their reception in Washington was pretty chilly. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the reason is a lot of these companies may have their headquarters in the U.S., but they register the ships themselves offshore. Flag of convenience, Um, right? 
Yeah, and so they're not subject to U.S. labor laws. That also gives them a huge tax benefit. They can kind of carve out different tax loopholes, et cetera. The list goes on and on. And I mean, if you hear some of the uh, or read some of the transcripts from Washington, it's pretty, um, you know, they're they're labeled everything from tax dodgers <laughs> to things that probably shouldn't be said on, on this live stream. But <laughs> It's uh, as you said, you wouldn't want wish that on uh, on your own industry for sure. Um, so it, it it seems like they will not uh, they will continue to not see anything from Washington. Um, but that said, I mean, I, I was on a press conference with uh, the president of Holland America, and it does seem like they're turning to the private sector for just different sorts of capital raise and alternative uh strategies to do what they need to do um i, I know they've parked a lot of boats mm -hmm. um, so I, I i don't think it's going away i, I mean it, it seems like there's a lot of demand there um but yeah it, it's just it's not going to get the assistance that airlines certainly have and indirectly what hotels have even found right. um with these small business programs no we're, we're the Cruise industry, I mean, like you said, a lot of them are headquartered in Florida or elsewhere mm -hmm. in the States, but uh, they're, the bulk of their employees are not U.S. citizens, right? That's what I've gathered, mm -hmm. yeah. So, so that also kind of puts them, they, they don't, like I said, they don't have to really abide by uh, labor laws here. Right. And so they're not organized in the same way the airline industry employees are. The, 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 that is, I think, going to be my final question to you, Cam. Um, the So we've talked when you were asking me like about the airline industry, you know, the unions and the airlines worked really closely together and were very, so we're in lockstep. And the airline industry is, ha, is heavily unionized and has very vocal and powerful unions. Is that true of the hospitality industry? Hospitality definitely has um, union support. I mean, um, for that story, I was looking over um, just amounts of dollars spent for lobbying. And I mean, obviously, the airline industry has a lot of associated companies that aren't just the big three. Right. I mean, you had Boeing actually is the biggest yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> lobbying for air transport. But then, I mean, the usual suspects of American, United, Delta, Delta, are up there. But then, I mean, if you look at the airline um, labor unions, they're right up there as well. Whereas the hotel industry, if you look, I mean, we have um, Unite here, SEIU. They're definitely spending money, but they're also, I mean, they're already out of jobs. I mean, oh. Unite here is like 98% unemployed right now. Wow, uh, really? Yeah. And who do they represent generally, Unite here? Uh, hotel employees okay. in Canada and the US. Okay. Um, SEIU is another big one, but that's a little bit more broader across all of hospitality. Um, so they're, they're out there. There's nowhere uh, the, the machine that the airline labor unions are. Hmm. Well, one, one interesting thing to note about Boeing, which I, I don't know if you picked up on this, but uh, yeah, half its revenue is from the defense side of its business. So that, yeah. that explains why it has such an outsized lobbying. Absolutely. Right? So <laughs> it's not all airline aircraft. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but it was f fascinating that, I mean, they couple it all together as the air transport sector. And it's the seventh largest spender of lobbying dollars um, wow. in the U.S. And the hotel industry doesn't even crack um, the top 20. Oh, wow. That, that big a difference. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. All right. Well, <laughs> this has been a fascinating discussion, Cameron. I want to thank you very much for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. No, it was a pleasure. We'll have you on again soon.